Good morning, everyone. Pleasure to be with you again. Jim out. If you have a Bible, open it to the very beginning. Genesis 1 and 2 is where we will be this morning. I saw a few hands go up for New Year's resolutions. I, I like to make resolutions, if nothing else. It's a fresh start, and I'm reminded of how poorly I did with my resolutions last year, and give it another go. Um, but if it's New Year's resolutions that you're interested in, I believe this passage will be a help to you in that regard. There's much more than that here, and uh, we're going to talk about much more than New Year's resolutions. In fact, comparatively, we're going to talk very little about New Year's resolutions, but if it's resolutions you want, I think you're going to find some good help here. So follow as I read. I'm just going to read a few portions of Genesis 1 and 2. I'll direct us as we go, starting in verse 1, and remember as I read, this is indeed the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. Look at verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now verse 31 And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, chapter 2, verse 8, and as we get into chapter 2, keep in mind, uh, chapter 1 gives us kind of a wide-angle lens of all creation. Chapter 2 narrows to speak about life in the garden. They're not talking about different things, it's just different angles. Chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please open your word to us. Open our hearts and minds to you and your word. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, guide and lead us in your paths. We need your help, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what on earth could this have to do with New Year's resolutions? Uh, It may not be obvious yet, but I think it will be clearer as we go, because when we talk about New Year's resolutions, we're talking about work. 
uh, whether it's working out, eating better, new goals at the office, Bible reading plans, up in your prayer life, whatever it is, we're talking about getting to work. And this passage gives us some great insight into the world of work, both God's work and our work. So let's start with God's work in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how chapter 1 is arranged. Uh, Verse 1 is a general overview statement of all of God's work in creation. It tells us the who, God. It tells us the what, He created all things, heaven and earth. And it tells us the when in the beginning of time. Then you have verses 2 through 31, which give us a more detailed account of creation. It reiterates the who. God is mentioned 30 plus times throughout chapter 1. It talks more about the details of the what, uh, the light, the land, the animals, mankind, so on and so forth. It also gets into a bit about the how. Doesn't tell us everything about the how, but it does get into a bit about how God created. For instance, I want you to notice verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Again, verse 1 gives us a general overview statement of all that took place. God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 2, we zoom in a little bit and we see more about how that took place. The earth was without form and void, darkness over the deep, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So at this point on the first day, we see that God has already created something. We have a reference here to the earth, to the waters. The earth was there in some sense, but it did not yet have a form. And the waters are there in some sense, the Spirit hovering over them. So it seems we're being told when we zoom in to see how God went about this, the first thing that God did was He created the raw materials. And the thing we're supposed to see at this point is that the earth was uninhabitable. The earth was there in some form, but it was not in a form that could sustain life. The Hebrew term, for formless and empty, the, the Hebrew term is tohu wabohu, and it also carries this uh, sense of disorder or chaos. So not only was the earth in a formless or lifeless state, it was in a state of disorder, a state of chaos. The big point here is that God brings the raw materials into existence, and they are uninhabitable. The earth was uninhabitable. Now look at the end of chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. The opposite of uninhabitable. Life has been called into existence. It was all in perfect order. Behold, it was very good. So, Verse 1 gives us an overview of God's creation of the universe. Verses 2 through 31 take us into a bit of how that creation happened. And one of the things we're supposed to pick up on here is there is a contrast between verse 2 and verse 31. There's a contrast from the beginning and the end. At the very beginning, God called the raw materials into existence, but the earth was uninhabitable. It was formless in a sort of disorder, chaos. But what God was doing throughout the creation week was bringing order where there was disorder. 
He was bringing order to the chaos. He was making the chaos, the jumbled raw materials that he had created initially, into a cosmos, which is an orderly creation. The Greek word cosmos simply means order, beauty, harmony. So here in chapter 1, not only do we see the who of creation, that's God, not only do we see the what, the creation of the heavens and the earth, but we also see a bit of the how. Now, in terms of the how, what usually gets a lot of the attention is that God created ex nihilo, and that's true. He created something from nothing. That's what ex nihilo means. He did not have any raw materials to start with. He created the raw materials out of nothing, the material elements, the space, the time, the matter, And he put them into order as he spoke the light into existence and the land and the sea and mankind and all of that. But what I want us to focus on here is the other angle of the how. Because Genesis 1, not only uh, do we see that God created ex nihilo, we also see that in the creation week, God took the creation from chaos to cosmos, from disorder to order, from being uninhabitable to being a habitation of order and beauty and harmony. Now, I told you we're going to talk about God's work and our work, and we've been talking about God's work. We're going to talk about our work in just a minute, chapter 2. But tucked in the middle of this discussion between God's work and our work is this, is a revelation that we are made in the image of God. It's a passage we all know. God created man in his own image. image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean that we're created in the image of God? Well, it means a number of things. For one, it means that all human beings have value. Uh, It also means that we are all created for relationship. You know, the eternal triune God has existed forever in relationship within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, as hard as that is for us to imagine. It's true. And if we're created in his image, it means we're created for relationship, to be like him, to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with one another. But more fundamentally, being in the image of God just means we're created with a God-likeness. We are created to reflect something of what God is like, created as God's images to imitate him, to be reflectors of his glory. I heard Joey pray that as I was coming up. We're to reflect God to one another and to the rest of creation. So we go to chapter 2, which deals, among other things, with our work. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God put our first parents in the garden, and what were they there to do? Well, they were there to be his images, to reflect something of what God is like. And what is God like? Well, One thing that we have learned about God to this point is that in the creation week, he took the creation from disorder to order, from chaos to cosmos, from being uninhabitable to being a habitation of order and beauty and harmony. We also see that he made a garden in Eden, and he put Adam there, eventually Eve with him. And what did he put them there to do? He put them in the garden to work it and keep it. In other words, he put them there to put it into order. And the vision was that they would not just stay in Eden. They would be fruitful. They would multiply. They would fill the whole earth. 
not only working and keeping the garden, but working and keeping all of creation, having dominion, it says, subduing. In other words, taking responsibility, putting things into order and harmony, helping the creation realize its potential, making things beautiful. So what we see is that just as in the creation week where God moved the creation from disorder to order, so too God has designed our work. He gave us the raw materials, but we are to put it into order. We are to imitate God, turning the chaos into a sort of cosmos. Now, what does this have to do with New Year's resolutions? Well, uh, as I said, when we talk about New Year's resolutions, we're talking about work. Whatever we're talking about, reading the Bible, getting in shape, we're talking about work, and this passage gives us some great insight into the world of work. So the first thing we need to realize about this is all that we've talked about so far is pre-fall. It's before the fall into sin. Before sin messed everything up. This is a part of God's very good design for the world. So one thing we need to know is that work is good. Work is a part of God's very good design. We were made to work. He put them there in the garden to work it and keep it. And another thing to note here is that work involves process. And that too, the process, is a part of God's very good design. We were designed to work and keep the creation, to fill it, subdue it, have dominion, to take responsibility for our work, to bring things into order, which involves a process just like God making the chaos into a cosmos involved a process. So work is good, and work always involves process. All of this a part of God's very good design for the world before sin messed things up. Of course, sin did come and wreak havoc. It severely damaged God's design, but it did not destroy it. It tarnished the image of God in us, but it did not remove it. And in fact, what did Jesus come to do? He was sent to save the world. He was not sent to merely save us out of the world, but to restore the world, to restore us to God's original design. He came to put the world back right, to bring the world from an even greater chaos that sin launched us into to an even greater cosmos, an even greater habitation of order and beauty and harmony in redemption. So while sin makes our work more difficult, it does not change the fact that our work is very good. It makes the process harder but it does not change the fact that the process is very good. And I want you to note that we see a similar pattern in creation as in redemption, moving from disorder to order, from chaos to cosmos. All right, now with this in mind, we should not be surprised to find ourselves with some disorder in our lives that needs order brought to it. This disorder is not something to grumble about, though in our sin we tend to. 
It's something to imitate God about. It's something to reflect Him about. So let's think about a number of ways this applies to our lives. And I promise if you came here to hear something about uh, New Year's resolutions, there's going to be something about that at the end. But just more generally, in our work, we have any parents in here? I think there's a few. And uh, even if you have grown children, the parenting never stops, does it? So has anyone found their parenting to be nice and neat and orderly? Like you're pretty much finished wrapping, you just need to kind of put a bow on it. Of course not. But why do we expect it to be? Why do we get frustrated by the fact that there is disorder to bring order to? Well, in part, I think it's because we haven't understood God's very good design. And in part, because of our sin, because we grow discontent with God's very good design. We just want it to take care of itself. But that's not the way God made the world. That's not the way he designed things to work. And no doubt our children's sin makes things harder. Uh, You throw in an enemy that hates God's order, that hates godly families. But can't we see that we must repent of our grumbling and our discontent with God's very good design, we, we embrace it. Because the arduous task and process of parenting is very good. The, the work of caring for them and loving them and being patient with them and forgiving them and teaching them and disciplining them, this is all very good. It does involve a long process, but the process is very good. We're here to bring order where there is disorder just like God. And we commune with him as we do it. We confess our sins to God when we fail, which we do tremendously. He's faithful to forgive us. We rejoice in the sufficiency of his grace for forgiveness and for change to empower us to do what he's designed us to do. We thank him for his very good design. That work is a part of what he created us to do. We embrace the process. We trust him in the process. We work it and keep it. We're fruitful, we multiply, we take responsibility, we seek to bring order. Don't lose heart in the process. It is going to be hard. It was always going to be hard. Sure, sin has made it harder, but don't forget that God has made it very good. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He's able to do far more than our efforts deserve. So pray Embrace the process, work it, and keep it. Or how about something a little less important than parenting, something that talks back less than our kids? Um, How about the laundry? You know, I hear a lot of people talk about how the laundry never ends, or yard work. Some some love that. Some just can't imagine how it's time to get leaves up again. But you know what? It's an opportunity to bring order where there is disorder. It really is an opportunity to have fellowship with God and imitate God, to make the chaos into a sort of cosmos, a habitation of order and beauty and harmony. Even if it doesn't last very long, can't we see how this is a glimpse of God? This is the way God made the world. This is the way God is redeeming the world from disorder to order, from chaos to cosmos. There is rich fellowship with God to be had even in the laundry if we just have eyes to see. 
Or how about this? Anybody have scores of emails that uh, you're going back to this week? You know, that's pretty overwhelming. But with this in mind, how about we approach them with thanksgiving? We thank God for the work. This is a part of his, his good design that he has included us in. Understanding that the work is good, very good. And seeing this as an opportunity to bring order where there's disorder. Or maybe you're walking back into a big mess at the office, maybe uh, much bigger than an overflowing inbox. Maybe there's a big mess at home. How about starting by meditating on the fact that both in creation and in redemption, God is in the business of moving from disorder to order, from chaos to cosmos. You're made in his image. You're made to reflect something of what he is like to those around you. That includes those in your home, those at work. And he's put you right where he has you to do just that. Surely that changes the way we think about these things that that are just burdens to us when we're at our worst. We're there to walk with God. We're there to imitate God. We're there to reflect God. Don't be surprised by the disorder that he has put in your life. Don't run from the chaos. Turn to it. Engage it. Embrace it. Work it and keep it. Work by faith for order and harmony and beauty. Now, it will most likely not come quickly. And in fact, it will not come fully until Christ returns. But we get to walk with God in the process, imitating him for what he's designed us to do. Or maybe someone is facing an overwhelming ministry need. Maybe um, God is leading you to press into an area that is seemingly uninhabitable. Maybe it's an MIT. Maybe you're going to serve in marriage matters and you're a little overwhelmed by that. You never know what you might find there. Or maybe just a personal investment in a, in a friend. Maybe someone is so lost, you can't imagine how things could ever change, but you love them and you have a heart for them. You have a burden for them and you want them to know the Lord. You know, the context that Genesis was originally given in was uh, when the people of Israel were on the doorstep to the promised land. They had already received these wonderful promises uh, that the land was theirs. They'd been receiving them for generations, but they were not yet in the land. They'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But finally, at long last, they are about ready to enter the promised land, and that's when Moses gives the first five books of the Bible. He starts with creation. He starts with the fact that God made the chaos into a cosmos, that he made what was uninhabitable a wonderful habitation. So already this has incredible significance for the people of Israel and what they're facing right now as they get this word. Because they know they have been promised the land. But then they get there and they look in and they go, well, he failed to mention the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all these other ites. There's lots of people that live here in this land and they look like they're kind of at home here. They look like they're not real eager to leave and they look like they're ready to fight. 
if we want to try to make them leave. So, naturally, the Israelites are concerned. Nobody said it was going to be easy. It was always going to involve a process. And the key is, it was always going to involve a process they could not accomplish in their own strength. They would have to depend on the Lord. But they're being reminded over and over and over again that God has covenanted with them. That he has committed himself to them. That he will never leave them or forsake them. He will even fight their enemies for them. It seems uninhabitable as they sit on the doorstep, but just watch what God is about to do to make it their glorious, wonderful habitation. It's the same with whatever we're faced with. It seems uninhabitable. It seems like nothing of order could ever be brought here. But we trust the Lord. We depend on the Lord. We believe that he's covenanted with us. We believe that he's made promises to us. We believe that he will fight for us. And he's in the business of bringing order where there's disorder, of making the chaos into a cosmos, a wonderful habitation of order and beauty and harmony. So in all of this that we've talked about, we are dependent on the Lord. Just as it was in creation, so it is in redemption. In chapter 1, verse 2, when we're still on the chaos end of the spectrum, Uh, we see the Spirit hovering and really about to put on a show. The image is like a bird on a nest about to hatch with all of this life and beauty and order and harmony. Or for those more scientifically inclined, the Hebrew has this sense of vibrating. So it's like the Spirit was vibrating in a wave-like motion over the face of the waters. It was as if he was energizing the light waves and the sound waves and the heat waves getting ready to launch. The point is that none of this happens apart from the Spirit of God in creation and in redemption. We are utterly dependent on God's Spirit to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life so that we care one lick about God's design. And then so that He would fill us over and over and over again in order that we have the capacity to carry it out in dependence on Him to work it and keep it. Finally, as promised, uh, what about New Year's resolutions? Well, whether it's Bible reading or eating better, uh, you want to deepen your prayer life or you want to get in shape, depend on the Lord, seek Him in prayer. We ask Him for the grace that we need every day. We embrace His very good design, which involves bringing order where there is disorder making the chaos into a cosmos. And I think we'll at least have a little bit of uh, biblical undergirding to, to head out into the new year. I want to tell you a story, um, and then we'll be done. And just a story about, it, it, I was thinking of it even as I read about the, um, the Israelites are standing there and they're faced with something that they cannot imagine how, how they would ever overcome. But it's not on them in their own strength to overcome. Uh, God is there, having covenanted with them. He is going to do it for them, through them. And uh, there's a great story. I think I've told it somewhere around here before, but 
It was about a trash city. I heard this from a man. Uh, I can't even remember his name, but he was an Egyptian pastor, and I heard him at a conference, John Piper Pastors Conference, sometime uh, years ago. And he was from Egypt. He got converted to Christ in college in Canada and had a heart to go back to his homeland. So he goes back to his homeland in Egypt, and uh, the church is, you know, small there, and um, things are hard. But his wife has a, he gets married to an Egyptian woman, and she has a real heart for this underserved area of town, uh, the trash city. And he was very overwhelmed by that, but she just had a clear conviction from the Lord, and and she's, you know, I think we're called to do this, and so we're going to go serve. And literally, um, it was just a dump that people lived in. Um, that You can imagine the smells, and I mean, there's no sustainable structures. They just did what they could with people's trash, and they lived there. Their children were there. Uh, it was very poor, very uneducated. It was just a forgotten, thrown away part of the society. And she says, that's where we're going to go. And he says, okay. Um, so they go and they start sharing the gospel and trying to help clean up, but it's so much greater than what they can possibly do. And one of the first people to come to Christ is this man, and he kind of becomes the pastor. So he's there helping them share the gospel, and more people are coming to Christ and helping them kind of try to bring order to the city. And, and sure enough, the Lord is given blessing, and more and more people are coming to Christ. And as they do, they, they have a concern and they see all of this chaos, this disorder around them, and they want to clean up. They're like, well, maybe we can get a little trash system so that it's all just not trash, but we'll have kind of trash places over here and over here, and we need a schoolhouse for the children, so we'll build this schoolhouse over here. And, you know, this happens over a period of a couple of years. I don't know how long. And the smell was still so bad that they would take the kids uh, like for a recess up on top of the mountain or the hill or whatever so they could get fresh air. And while they're up there kicking the soccer ball around one day, they happen upon this uh, kind of cave-like structure, and they walk in there, and it's amazing. It's got Egyptian hieroglyphics on the walls, and, and they see that somebody used to meet in here, like they had tribal meetings or something in here, and they come across something like nine or ten of these caves and, and it, you could fit, I don't know, 100 people in these caves. Well, as time goes on and more and more people are coming to Christ, they end up having church in these caves. So they would go up there and they would meet and they would worship and, and it was, you know, a place to get away and get fresh air. And, but, you know, then they would be sent back down to bring order where there was still disorder. And what ended up happening over time was uh, there was... They, they came across this, um, you can find this on YouTube, uh, I, I don't know if you just Google, I, if I could remember his name, it would help you, but um, I'll come up with it at some point. But they come across this amphitheater, and they ended up hosting a national day of worship for Christians in Egypt. Something like 50,000 Christians came to worship on top of the trash city, and there is a video of that, I've seen it, um, but all with this otherworldly desire to bring order where there was disorder. There's chaos. That's all I see. Yeah, but I serve a God who's in the business of taking the chaos and bringing a cosmos. He, he loves, he delights 
to take what is in chaos and bring order and beauty and harmony. He did it in the trash city. He's done it over and over again in our lives. And we know that if we look back at the beginning of what we were facing, we thought there's no way we can endure it. There's no way we have what it takes. And you know what? We're right. You're right. You don't. But you serve a God who loves you, who has covenanted with you in the blood of Christ, who will never leave you or forsake you, who delights to fight for his people and take the chaos and make it into a cosmos. Let's pray. Father, for some, this is going to be an encouragement and they're feeling kind of upbeat about the new year. Ready to hit it full head of steam. And for some, that couldn't be further from the case. Lord, um, be down, overwhelmed, standing on the edge of looking into what you've promised and yet feeling like it is so far from reality. So, Lord, would you take your truth, drive it deep in our hearts, remind us who you are, whose we are. Lord, would you remind us that you are a God of order, a God of beauty, a God of harmony. But you, you get it that way via process and... Um, Lord, help us to rest in you. Also, help us to embrace this great calling to be image bearers of the Most High God, to imitate you in your work. And one thing we know that means is that you have assigned to us good work in various vocations, at home, at work, in this church, in our community, and beyond. Lord, to lean into the disorder in order to work towards order, to embrace the chaos, to work toward a cosmos. Lord, we recognize we cannot do that in our own strength, but we are convinced that you can. Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.